Hey everyone, welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Just a quick note before today's episode. This summer, we're completing our series of introduction videos with our final season of filming, and we still need to raise about $30,000 to cover those costs, and we would love you to help us with that. And you can do that by visiting the Spoken Gospel website and clicking on Donate. And by doing that, you can contribute to bringing books like the Book of Revelation to life. And whether that's through a one-time gift or a monthly donation, your support makes all the difference in the world. So thank you so much and enjoy today's podcast. Welcome to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel is a ministry that's dedicated to speaking the gospel out of every corner of scripture. In Luke 24, Jesus told his disciples that every part of the Bible was about him. So each week, hosts David and Seth work through a passage of scripture to see how it's all about Jesus and his good news. Let's jump in. Well, welcome everyone to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Seth, how are you today? Well, I'm surviving. You're surviving. We're both surviving. We're both surviving. <laughs> this is from deep within the quarantine bubble. This is, we are alone in the office right now Yeah, we because were... Seth and I both tested positive for COVID. COVID. Even though we were vaccinated, we both had a breakthrough case, which was super fun. On the same day. On the same day. I blame you. I mean, I blame you. Okay. So, you know. I see how it is. <laughs> I feel like there's somebody else to blame yeah. here. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's only the person sitting across from me. Uh, so anyway, uh, we are both on, this is the last day of our quarantine, thank yes, goodness. Thank so, goodness. Um, but our office mates here at Spoken Gospel have been kind enough to evacuate and leave us, leave us. a whole bunch of Lysol. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're coming to you guys fresh out of quarantine. Unable uh, to smell. Mine's just coming back. And ready to talk about. The testimony of God. That's right. In the water and the blood. Here we go. So yeah, we're at the end of First John. Um, it's been really, really cool going through this letter. Um, we just talked about the famous passage, God is love, and how uh, we overcome the world through our faith in Jesus. Um, and now he's going to talk about where that faith came from, like what it's grounded in. And it's grounded in three testimonies. Yeah. If you've ever wondered about the passage in scripture where like, Jesus came by water and blood, if mm-hmm. you thought of, if you've heard about the, uh, there's a sin that leads to death. Oh yeah. The sin that leads to death. Um, that's all in this little section of scripture. And the first thing he talks about is what David just said is this testimony uh, that God himself gives. Yeah. It says this in uh, chapter five of first John verse six, this is he uh, talking about Jesus who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And then we'll stop there for for now before we get to the, there's a third witness, the the spirit, but we'll get there. Well, what's first thing that is interesting here is that he feels the need to double down on the fact that he comes by both water and blood. Right. So apparently part of the message of the Antichrist was that they were okay with Jesus coming by water, Mm -hmm. but not okay with him coming by blood. Definitely. So that's interesting. Yes. So, okay, we'll find what is water and blood. Yes. That's, that's the real yeah. question. So, I mean, should we talk about the alternative views? Uh, we haven't even discussed what we each believe. I assume uh, based on what you said, especially that we think the same thing. <laughs> My thought here is that this is referring to Jesus's two baptisms. Okay. So you have the baptism by water. Mm-hmm. 
that happened at the Jordan River where the Holy Spirit came down and God himself spoke from heaven. Yes. Three witnesses, which we're about to get to three witnesses right right here. And then you have the baptism by blood that happened at the cross. And Jesus himself refers to his cross as a baptism of blood mm-hmm. in Mark 10, 38, when James and John are saying, can I sit to your right hand and left hand? Can you be baptized with the baptism with which I'll be baptized? Yes, that's what Jesus <laughs> said. He used the baptism three times to describe his crucifixion. So I think he's referring to Jesus's two baptisms. Yes, I completely uh, agree. Uh, yeah. Okay, well, great. We're, yeah. We are agreed. <laughs> we are agreed. And the reason why the Antichrists did not believe that Jesus came, that Jesus the Christ came by water and by blood is really important for their heresy. Um, so apparently they believed uh, it's, it's likely. We can't ac- actually prove mm-hmm. this because we don't have their documents. Right. But we have other like uh, similar heresies that came about soon after this period of time that carried this idea that Jesus, the person in the flesh, the human being was intermixed with the Christ, the Messiah from heaven at his baptism, that at his baptism, when God, the father showed up and said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased, you know, listen to him mingled with yes. The Christ inhabited and dwelt Jesus, the person. And then from that moment, to the cross, but not through the cross, mm-hmm. not past the cross, but up to the moment of the cross, Jesus was the Christ. Uh-huh. But then the heresy is, well, I mean, that's already super heresy. Yeah. That he, <laughs> super heresy. <laughs> super, but then they believe that the Christ left the hmm. person of Jesus before the cross and did not endure death. Interesting. Uh, and so for John to say that he... He was he he was the Jesus was the Christ through water, not yeah. at water, mm-hmm. not in water. Through that means he was before, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then and blood that he made that Jesus was the Christ all the way through his death. Interesting. I had a different like so that makes a ton of sense. Mm-hmm. Um, as we like mirror read what was what, what right. was that the Antichrist were teaching? I had like a different set of symbols in my head mm-hmm. as I was reading this. I kept thinking about. The Exodus narrative, mm-hmm. where you have blood, water, and spirit as the three signs of God's salvation of his people. You have the Nile turning to blood. You have the waters being parted and Israel going into the wilderness. And then you have uh, the spirit guiding Israel through mm-hmm. the wilderness. Mm-hmm. And these were the witnesses right. of God's salvation to the people of Israel. And so you have here those same three witnesses again, water, blood, and spirit. Mm. And they are the evidence that Jesus has come and saved his people. Yeah. And so these pe- and so these antichrists are denying part of the salvation of God for his people, mm-hmm. that he's come by blood. And I wonder too, if mixed in with that, there's also a sense it's like, oh, the Messiah can't be bloody. Oh, totally. The yes. God can't bleed. It's yes. it's it's inappropriate or offensive. To have God can come by water. There's something holy and pure about water. Yes. He can speak in a divine voice from heaven. The uh-huh. spirit can land on him, but he can't be bloodied. Right. Like there, you can't have that much human in the divine, which is actually w- what John says earlier too. Yes. Um, they deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Right. So I was I was thinking about that. Yeah. Too. And it's yeah, it's both sides. It's how he came into this world and how he left this world both bother the mm-hmm. antichrists that he could have been born the Christ, mm-hmm. right? Right, right? Unto right. us a child is born and his name will be Emmanuel is offensive because it's too fleshly for God to have been an embryo. 
Yes. For God to have been yes, 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 yes. born. Uh, and so they needed something more spectacular and set apart. He manifests himself and indwells the person of Jesus at the water. Something more transcendent. That's than right. That. Yeah. And it's like, no, the good news that John is telling us to believe is that God became flesh. And like they he was a personal witness to that, that he was born, that he like was confirmed as Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah at his baptism. Yes. But that's not where he became Jesus the Messiah. And then he remained all the way through and God in the flesh died. He was baptized in blood. He like suffered. And like that's important for that is the gospel. It's not just right. important for the gospel. It is the gospel yeah. that we have propitiation, like which he's talked about earlier. Um, and you can't have that, that. God has come and done this thing. Yes. yes. Yeah. So the reason why this is important, again, so, so why is John going all the way back and saying, remember, mm. you have witnesses to the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. Mm -hmm. he, Jesus claimed to be divine. And he's actually in this last section is going to have his strongest claim of Jesus's divinity. He's going to say, Jesus is the true God. Mm -hmm. It's the strongest way he's put it since the beginning of this letter um, is because antichrists, if you're joining us for the first time, you're like, mm. why are you throwing away the word antichrist so liberally? <laughs> antichrist is anyone who denies that Jesus is the anointed one. Is the anointed one. The that Jesus came in the flesh, that Jesus died on the cross, that the son of God died on the cross, that the son of God came. Right. Like That's, that's all it. an antichrist is yep. to John. And there's lots of them. And there's lots of them. They're everywhere. Yeah. And so what he's doing here then um, is again, confirming to people who are tempted to believe what the Antichrist are teaching, or at mm -hmm. least confused by what the Antichrist mm -hmm. is teaching. Say, okay, let's set it up like a court case for mm -hmm. you for a second. How do you know something's true in a court? When you have witnesses. Right. And for a Jew, mm -hmm. you know, or even for anybody who has the Old Testament, it was important that it was two or three witnesses. Yes, it couldn't be less than two. Right. And so it's interesting, you know, that that's an Old Testament law that you could not convict somebody without two or three witnesses. And like uh, Jesus picks up this language himself whenever he says like, where two or three are gathered in my name, uh, I'm with them. Meaning when two or three people witness like something, pray for something together, I, I'm confirming that. He also does it in the book of John mm. when he's confirming to the Pharisees who he is. It's like, if you didn't believe me, believe oh. the voice you heard from heaven. And if you didn't believe the voice you heard from heaven, believe my works. Three, right. witnesses. three witnesses. Oh, and then he mentions Moses, Moses. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting even the way that that John here structures the argument is he starts with two and then he gives a third. So mm -hmm. that way we see that it's two or three. It's water and the blood and it's both. It's water and blood uh -huh. and the spirit. So mm -hmm. if two wasn't enough, here's a third. Yes. And so it's like clear that he's saying like, I am trying to bolster my case against the antichrist mm -hmm. using Old Testament law as the grounding that two or three witnesses, I'm going to destroy the case of the antichrists. Yep. And that's what he, his, his, that's what he means by testimony, testify witnesses. Yep. That, that word group testimony, testify witnesses all concentrated right here in this, these verses that we're reading. So like that idea, the idea of a testimony of like a legal witness mm. is the central point you're meant to get out of this little yeah. section. So here, here's, here's the whole context. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not unlike what those antichrists are saying, not by water only, mm -hmm. but by the water and the blood. And the spirit is the one who testifies, who gives witness because the spirit is the truth. Because there are three that testify, the spirit and the water and the blood. And these three all agree. There are three witnesses. And they, and they all are saying the same thing. 
that Jesus is the God who has died, who has come, and who has died to give you eternal life. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a strong case that if you had three witnesses to an event that are all saying the exact same thing happened, that happened. Right. Like, that, is, that, is a, and, that is a slam dunk case, open and shut. And what's crazy, so it's, think about it. If you're in this imaginary court case, hearing all the lies of the Antichrist, the, their court case, they're prosecuting or they're, mm. and they're trying to like gin up the best witnesses possible. Yep. So you got God, <laughs> you've got the Holy Spirit. And we got a killer witness. <laughs> you've got the blood of Jesus and the empty tomb. Yep. You have the water where God spoke from heaven mm-hmm. and a dove landed on him. What, what more, what better qualified witnesses do you need? Yeah. And then he says this, if we receive the testimony of men, meaning we trust men to right. get things Whenever, right. Like the, our Old Testament law says where two or three are gathered, like where two or three give witness, believe them. We believe the word of man when two or three do it. Right. How much more so? God. Yes. The testimony of God is greater for this is the testimony of God that he is born concerning his son. Mm. What's the testimony? Whoever does not, oh, whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. And whoever does not believe, he gets confusing because I thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna reveal right oh. there. So I was reading it like he was gonna reveal. Okay, yeah. let's just pause before we get okay, to the reveal. Okay. So does that make sense yeah. so far? It's yeah. like he's building this court case. He's presenting the evidences. Here's all the witnesses. You must believe them. You trust men. Why wouldn't you trust God? Mm-hmm. Anything you want to add to that? I don't think so. Makes sense. Okay. Well, then I guess I'll keep reading. Okay. Never go mind. for it. So verse ten says. Uh, this whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. So I think what this means. Oh yes. It means whoever believes in Jesus Uh in the son of God knows or has that or has internalized the truth of the divinity of Jesus inside of them. The fact that God has come for, for us. Yeah. I mean, it's the spirit. The spirit. Yeah. It's like we, he said earlier that no one can believe that Jesus is the son of God unless they have Mm -hmm. the spirit. And so you have three witnesses, two of which are external, the water and the blood, one of which is internal, Mm -hmm. the Holy spirit. And so whoever believes in the son of God has the witness of the spirit inside of them. Like that's how they believe. That's what he's saying. Okay. And then it goes on, but whoever does not believe God, Mm -hmm. whoever doesn't believe God has made him a liar because he's not believed in the testimony that God's made uh, has born concerning his son. That's right. The, God's on the witness stand, uh-huh. right? And he's saying, "This is my son. Here's the evidence." And then people who get up and say, "That's not Jesus." What is it, that? It's like it's like a prosecuting attorney, you know, standing up to you know a witness and stand saying, "Liar! You're under right. oath. Tell the truth." Right. You know, and it's like you either believe God or you don't. That's right. <laughs> God is either truth or he's a liar. And anyone who claims that Jesus Christ has not come in the flesh, who mm-hmm. has not been baptized by both water and blood, is calling God a liar. That's right. Is he that person that calls God a liar is an antichrist? Yes. The same thing we've said that John's been saying since the beginning. Yep. And this is the testimony, which is like, wait, haven't we already had the testimony that Jesus is God? Mm-hmm. But here's a further deepening. What does it mean for Jesus to be God? What does it mean for the Son of God to come to Earth mm-hmm. to die for our sins? What does that all that mean? This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and this life is in his son. Mm. Whoever has the son has life and whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So we've added something here. This Mm. isn't just a witness about historical fact, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. It's also a witness about what that historical fact accomplishes, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. 
And what I think is really interesting is whenever I hear the words eternal life, I think extended lifespan. Right. I get to live forever. Uh-huh. That's the witness that God is telling me. Mm. He says something he's he says something a little bit different. This life, this eternal life is in his son. Right. And whoever has the son has that eternal life. That's right. So what I'm what it makes me think about is that I have too small of a view of eternal life. Mm. Right? Because eternal life generally to me means I get to live forever. Mm-hmm. But really he's defining it more as almost relational That's or right. an abiding like to live forever means to be with Jesus, yeah. to be intimate with Jesus, be one with Jesus, to have Jesus. Um, and I think that's more important. Yeah, totally. It's like, I, I think it's, it's often thought about that we get eternal life to have an eternal amount of time to spend with Jesus, to yeah. put it in the best possible light. Yeah. Right. But what John is saying here, and I think what you just said, is we get the Son, we get Jesus, uh-huh. and in or and like as we get Jesus in that relationship, being with Him is eternal, or eternal life is Jesus. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's like we want to divorce the eternality of the afterlife. It, you know, to uh-huh. put it that way, uh-huh. from the relationship. Yes. That it's like right. I want like it's like you can live forever. So that you can have, you know, a relationship with Mm -hmm. Jesus is different than saying your relationship with Jesus itself is eternal life. Right. That's different. That is different. Okay. And like, and it kind of changes to what's, it changes for me how I see or think about the antichrists. Okay. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. They are rejecting, they are rejecting the idea that they want to live forever. Right. They're rejecting what it means to live forever. Mm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Being with Jesus is the point of eternal life. Yes. Or it is, it is synonymous yeah. with eternal life. And so to reject Jesus is to reject all final hope of mm-hmm. immortality. Like, And the reason this is confusing to us is because we have a different gloss for eternal life, a different understanding of it based on, you know, a centuries of progressing Christian thought. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like eternal life is this thing that we get that allows us to live forever. By the way, neither Seth and I are saying we won't live forever with Jesus. I just yeah, make, it has make to be sure. at least that. I just, I, yeah. I just want to make sure no one thinks we're, we're saying that we don't believe that. Um, but it makes so much sense inside of First John itself because he has already identified life itself as Jesus. He did it at the beginning yes. of his letter. And eternal life itself is Jesus. It was with the Son, Jesus has always had eternal life in himself. He has always been eternal life in himself. He is God. In the beginning, God is his purview. You know, it's it's who he is, is life. And so when you get God, when you get Jesus, you get the life that he has always had inside himself. Right. And think about it even maybe from the other, this side of eternity. Like how has John consistently talked about what it means to be saved Mm. god being in us yes and the antichrist don't have god in them Mm -hmm. so when you have eternal life in you now right now it does that 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 is the beginning of what it will look like forever that's right the antichrist have already said we hate that we don't want that Mm -hmm. we don't want that christ in us because Mm -hmm. we prefer something we prefer something else so i think it's and i think that's important to have this sense that like Union with Christ, being in Christ, abiding in God, God abiding in us, 
is the central factor of what eternal life is, especially as we go mm. on, but also as we just think about heaven. Yeah. So maybe just the question that I keep asking is why is it better to think about heaven as intimacy or being with or being one with Jesus mm. over and above being alive forever in a place where Jesus is. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? It does. Um, I, I want I want that yeah. to land for me personally because yeah. I feel like I'm trying to talk myself into it. I don't know know if I have it yet. But Yeah, I mean, it's like you, you think about, you know, you live in this eternal city where Jesus is. And it's like every now and then you go visit him. You know, <laughs> it's like, is that the... Is that right. the, is that the version of heaven that we're kind of I, like? I play football with him sometimes, right? You know, yeah. we like we play cash. <laughs> Comes out to my rock concert. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it feels so esoteric. I think I'm having trouble like grabbing onto this idea, and I don't know if we've elevated it too high or something. Where it's like, because John's such a practical book, I'm just like, is he, like, it, what does it mean? It means that like to get Jesus is to get life. And I think a lot of us want to divorce the two. Mm -hmm. That's like, we want life. And, you know, I'm okay with what John Piper says when he says that if you got heaven without God, it would be hell. Yeah. I, I get that. I'm glad yeah. God's there. Yes. He's the he's the best yes. good. Yes. And I want to enjoy the best good. And I'm glad that he's there. So heaven will be full of God. I'm really happy about that. Yeah. Uh, that, that's still different than I think what John and, and you were getting at here, which is like, it's about having Jesus. It's about mm -hmm. being with Jesus and Jesus being with you, in you, you in him, you know, which is super Johannine, uh, which is, sorry, fancy way of saying like John's. John's. Yeah. Uh, you know, you read the high priestly prayer. You read, uh, you know, the last things that Jesus said, John 15 through 17. He talks all about this. Yeah. Uh, I, I really want to land what you're driving at because yeah. I think it's important. Any way forward that you can see? No, I mean... I kind of goes even, I guess it goes back to like what even we talked about last week. God is love. Mm -hmm. There is a, um, not a primacy within the way that we describe God. God is more loving than yes, he is anything yes, else. Yes, yes, But there is, I think John seems to be emphasizing for the sake of his audience and at least for us, that relational, intimate, indwelling facet of our experience of God that shouldn't go unaddressed. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's all we need to say. It's like when he says eternal life, don't just think. Live forever. Live forever, right. expend, extending your lifespan indefinitely. Think about like the reason why you were saved, the reason there are three witnesses is to prove to you, to remind you that you will be with Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's the, I mean, that's it. That's it. You'll be with Jesus. Because what's the, the bit on the line the whole time? Am I in him or am I not? Right. When am he I, comes, am I going to shrink back from him in shame or will I stand before him in confidence? Right. The whole the whole crisis of faith that these people have been having is, am I with God or am I not? Right. And he's saying... There's three witnesses that said, you will be. And think about it this way. Maybe, maybe, uh -huh. historical fiction for a second, Okay. the uh, people John was writing to had the same problem we had. Eternal life just means an extended lifespan. Sure. And he's saying, okay, you, but like, does that really help you? Extended lifespan help you under, to know if you're with God or not? Mm. Let me expand for you what eternal life actually is. Yeah. You have eternal life based on the witness of God. Can you overturn that? You don't call God a liar. He's God. Yeah. And God says eternal life is being with 
Jesus. Yeah. I mean, imagine this existential fear of, are me and God really okay? Mm-hmm. Like, am I really in Jesus? Is Jesus really in me? Like, I question, I think that often. Right. And imagine that existential dread and fear being stretched out over an eternal life. That's yeah. bad news. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is bad news <laughs> to think about, like, yeah, you live forever and Jesus is there, but you still don't know if you're in him or not. You know, is like, yeah, you, there's still no confidence. Is bad news. It's bad news. But to know that you're in him forever is good news. <laughs> it's like, that's the, I think that's the core difference. I mean, he even says in the very next verse, 13, I write these things to you. And I think he's referring to the, the all the previous parts of his letter that yeah, he's written. Yeah. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm-hmm. Like that the whole, that's the whole point of the letter. Right. For him to know that these beleaguered, doubting, unsure Christians would know that they know that they know yeah. that they are in God, Jesus is with them, and they have that type and that quality of eternal life. Right. And to, for John at this point in his letter, for him to say, so that you may know you have eternal life is synonymous with him saying, so that you may know you have the Son. Yes. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Yeah. And I was even uh, yeah. thinking, I was wondering if like light helps us, because that's the, the first way that he talks right. about God is light, and in mm-hmm. him there is no darkness at all. I was wondering if, like, that you may know that you are in the light right. helps us understand what it means to be with light and life are those con- are connected mm-hmm. terms. Mm-hmm. Eternal life and eternal light mm-hmm. feel different to me. Yeah, Eternal life automatically makes me think of the extension of my existence. Mm. Eternal light makes me think of the quality of my existence or mm. the experience of it, like the purity, the brilliance of it, the enlightenment of it. Yeah. I, I wonder if there's a connection there between what it means to be with Jesus and mm-hmm. to be with light forever mm-hmm. that might be worth reflecting on. Yeah. Audience. Yeah, <laughs> go for that. Go for that. That's I, true. I mean, and it's very, John is painting us into that corner to think about that. Right, yeah. He, so, he's yeah. done all the interlocking work for us. Yeah, it's to just like, one of those things for you to now go meditate on. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then he says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So he's moving to talk about prayer now. Yeah. Based on this confidence, we have an eternal life. Now we get to move on to how do we approach God and talk to him and ask things of him? Yeah. It's, it feels like a strange move. Like, yeah. Yeah. Cause like he hasn't really talked about prayer the whole book, right? Like, nope. nope. So for him to just be like, and now we have this confidence to go. Well, what do you do to people that you're with? Talk to them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, talking <clears throat> to God is probably too anemic of a way to talk about what prayer is. Sure. But at on the very basic level, yeah, there's that. And then what? why would you want to be near God in the first place? Mm. These people are being attacked and possibly even murdered. I'm assuming they want God to rescue. They want him to come near. They want comfort. They want yeah. assurance. All assurance, the th- yeah. All the things we've been talking about, they say come from their letter. They're probably asking of God in, in their quiet times. Right. Um, but not not that it is, literarily it doesn't, it comes yeah. out of nowhere, but I wonder humanly if it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, definitely. Or it's just like, okay, fine. I, I believe this logically now. You've built mm-hmm. an airtight argument. The witnesses have taken the stand. I believe that Jesus is the Christ and I have confidence that I have eternal life in him. Now what do I do? You know, it, uh-huh. and it's like, right. well, you 
be in that relationship. If you're in him and it's like, well then, okay, if I'm in him and I am supposed to have this relationship, on what grounds do I talk to him? Mm-hmm. On what what on what grounds do I have a relationship with the living God? You know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, on the same grounds and you can approach him with confidence. Um, which I think that word confidence is really interesting. Um, John Stott, who I think we've mentioned before, uh, he says that the uh, the Greek word parasia, uh-huh. the literal translation, and it's translated, it's glossed similarly to this throughout uh, some other texts, but it means free speech. The word confidence means free speech? Yeah. Okay. And it's like to speak freely. And it's like to think about prayer as an exercise in free speech with God. That's interesting. And like that's how he wants you to come to him. Is yeah. Kind of crazy. Yeah, because I think um, even the people I'm closest with, like my wife, I'm always finding that I have to adjust my speech. Right. Because I'm afraid of offending, because I'm afraid of X, because I know last time I brought this up, mm-hmm. I did it poorly. Like, I'm always yep. afraid. I I'm can't always... breach that subject. If I'm going to ask for this, I have to give these caveats. Yeah, I'm always unfree in my speech. Yeah. So the idea of being totally free before anyone is actually fairly foreign yeah. to my entire existence as a totally. human. <laughs> yeah. But that's an amazing promise. Yeah. And so like to to come to conf- like to come with him with free speech with confidence and to ask anything but it's not just to ask anything, right? It's to ask anything in accordance with his will. Mm-hmm. Then we know that he hears whatever we ask because we've asked it in accordance with his will. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those again these kind of connected dyads that John has done throughout, right? So he said, like, how do we know that we're in him if we love our brother? Now he's saying, how do we know he hears us if we ask things according to his will? Ah, He's doing the same thing he's always done. Um, And I just was like, okay, but how do I know I'm asking something in accordance with his will, (laughs) you know? Um, And I think it's interesting that, uh, like, an interesting question to ask of, like, how much of my prayer life my relationship with Jesus goes into like knowing his will, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, let's yeah. talk about will then. Okay. So like, yeah. I think, okay, we can, we can speak freely before God. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And we can ask anything we want according to his will. And we're confident that he will hear us and answer us. Mm-hmm. We will, we know we have the request that we have asked of him. Right. This is like guaranteed promise. Yeah. If we ask According to his will, we will get. So mm-hmm. I have one question behind the question. It's like, how do we get, how do we know that? Mm-hmm. But the sec- the question you're asking is, well, what is according to his will? Yeah, how do we know that we're praying according to his will? I think it's probably helpful to talk about two different ways people talk about God's will. Okay. Sometimes we talk, there's like this idea of a secret will of God or mm-hmm. the decreed will of God. Yes. It's the timeline. Right. It's like the sacred it, timeline. The sacred timeline. <laughs> Any Loki fans <laughs> out there? <laughs> it's whatever happens in the course of every event in every person's life. That's right. Uh, I just, I, I want to know if what I'm going to do is in God's will or not. Yeah. Should I marry this person? Should I move to that city? Should I eat at that restaurant? Should I put those socks on? Right. Those are all. I don't want to create a branch from the sacred time. Right. I don't want to create a branch from the sacred time. Like, God, please make sure I choose the right socks today. I've yeah. actually prayed that prayer before. <laughs> that I don't doesn't know. surprise me. <laughs> have, you, have you not? <laughs> no. I was like, I used to have like a lot of anxiety as a kid about not wearing the right clothes. I went out. Nope. And so I would pray to ask anyway. So there's that version <laughs> of trying to know God's will and asking for that thing. And, and, and maybe less pedantically, but like, um, 
God, I want this person to be healed. I want right. this job interview to go right. If it's your will. If it's your will. Or right. I want to get this job. Or I want this side of the war to win. Or I want to be able to go to Paris someday. Like There's those types of prayers. I want the Cubs to win the pennant. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. And like, how do we know? And we are hoping that if we pray it the right way, God's will will be moved in that direction. So yeah. I just want to name, that's called like the secret will of God, the timeline will of God. Like that's mm. one version. Okay. But there's a different, another type of will of God theologians talk about called like um, the the decretive yeah. will of God mm-hmm. or the, the revealed. revealed will of God, mm-hmm. which is simply God's what, promises in scripture. Yeah, what God says he wants and does. Right. Yeah. And so- is it is it God's will that you murder someone? No, no. His revealed will has said, "Don't murder." Yes. So you always know murder is against it, it, his will. Yes. So that's just that's the revealed will of God, and we know it's always in his will will to reveal his love for us. That's right. His love towards yep. us because of what John says yep. here and how. So Paul it's like prays. when people are like, "I just want to know if it's God's will for me to like share my faith with this person." It's like yes, yes, it is because he he revealed to you the great commission. To go into all the nations. Yes. Right? And so, like, we know that's his will. And so what I love about... So so that that's the background information. So The this, secret will of God and the revealed will of God. And so John's not talking about the secret timeline will of God. He's talking about the revealed will of God in his word. And right. to John's audience, that would have been his old te- the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And what that means is... And, we, we, and sorry, we know that because of everything else John has said. Yes. To obey his commandments, to keep his commandments. Mm-hmm. Like, that's... that To love your brother. Like, he's harped on that so much that that's the only category in your head for like, well, what does God want from me? Keep your commandments. Believe in the Son. And he's like, okay, so what does it mean to keep his will? To keep his commandments. To mm-hmm. believe the Son. Like, that so would be we, very... If we pray God's promises, mm-hmm. they will come to pra- pass. Mm. That's the promise. What's an example of, of praying God's promises like that he's revealed? Can you think of like just yeah. any kind of example? Because it's like, I pray that I wouldn't... I mean, okay, to be fair, I was going to like make fun of this. Yeah. But it's like, I pray that I wouldn't murder that person today. You know? I mean, that's and it's a like, decent and I, and I was like going to like make fun of that. But it's like, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. Is part of the Lord's prayer. I that, mean, First John 5, 5. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Mm-hmm. What is a promise of God? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So I expect to over overcome the world today mm-hmm. did you like, say son god or son of god uh, son of god i don't know what i said <laughs> i blame COVID. <laughs> um but, that's, but yes right but like what has god revealed mm, yep. as a promise right that we will overcome the evil one we will overcome the evil one right and i can pray that and expect it it's to really happen good. yeah now how do we know that it will happen is an interesting one. Oh, that's the question behind the question. That because you about it's like, because one way I think is like, okay, I'm going to pray mm-hmm. that I will overcome the evil one. God's going to hear that prayer and then he's going to send his angels out. And then a few days later, maybe I'll overcome the evil one. You know, like there's like a step between my prayer mm. and then God's action, right? Okay. Well, that doesn't make any kind of sense with how John has been talking about where God resides. Mm-hmm. God lives in, in us. Yeah. So the reason why we have confidence when we pray according to God's will, that he hears us and that he will do it, is because that the God who hears is in us. Mm-hmm. The Jesus who has made us confident to speak freely, who has atoned for our sins, 
is inside of us. There's no distance mm. in authority or listening between our prayer according to God's will and God's will being done because God and us, to some degree, are synonymous beings. We're one. We're one. I mean, yeah, the Bible says that multiple places. We are yeah. one. We are new creations with God. Yeah. So why can we be confident God's will will come to pass in our life when we pray it? Because he's in us. Right. How could it not how come could it to not? And I mean, he'll even say that, like, those who believe in Jesus do not go on sinning. Because how could it not? How, how, could, could, we? how could we? How could we? Jesus well, is in us. Jesus is in us. Jesus doesn't sin. I, so I wanted to stress, like, I think that's what John means here. Yeah. There's an immediacy and a confidence that our prayers will be answered because the God who answers prayers is in us. Mm-hmm. That's and really we good. are him. Yeah. In him. That's very good. Uh, I wanted. I didn't want to move on from this subject without quoting this line from John Stott's commentary, his Tyndale commentary on the letters of John. Um, he says that the con- uh, the condition of answered prayer is whether. Oh, sorry. Back in three twenty two, he says the condition of answered prayer is whether our behavior accords with God's commands. But here, uh, the condition is whether our requests accord with His will. Now, this is where I want you, everybody, to start paying attention. Prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or for bending his will to ours, but it is the prescribed way of subordinating our will to his. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. And then this is the line that blew me away. Every true prayer is a variation on the theme, your will be done. Hmm. Our master taught us to say this in his pattern in the in the pattern prayer he gave us the Lord's prayer, and he added the supreme example of it in Gethsemane. Hmm. And I was like, I don't think I've ever thought about the exercise of prayer as some variation of the theme. Your will be done mm-hmm. is a daily, hourly, yeah. minute by minute subordination to the will of God who is in me. God is in me, saying like. Let's go. Like I want I want to manifest my will and commands and love in your life, David. And my prayers are variations on the theme of, yes, help me get out of the way. Mm-hmm. Like help me subordinate to your design, your commands, your will. And it's like, of course those those prayers get answered. Yeah. Like to your point right, right, where it's right. like God is wanting to manifest himself mm-hmm. in your life and obedience in your life and sinlessness in your life and love for brother in your life, you know. Yeah. Uh, and being in the light, all these things John's talked about. And it's like, man, prayer is the way that we subordinate ourselves to that will. Your will be done. I like that a lot. John Stott. I like that a lot. John Stott, he's a master. He's a master. He's a master. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Uh, knew what he was doing. Knew what he was doing. RIP. Um, yeah. I like that all prayers are a, a riff on the theme. Of yeah. Your will be done. Anyway, I just um, was blown away by that. Didn't want to move yeah, on. Yeah. And then that. also, the con- yeah. Yeah, that's, we got nothing else to say on that one. Yeah, it's that's great. That's it. And he, but John continues to talk about prayer. Yes. So we can be confident in our prayers, including this prayer he's about to talk about. Okay. Verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. To, yeah, to those who do, commit yeah. sins that do not lead to life. Now, there is a sin that leads to death, and I don't say that you should pray for that. Mm. All wrongdoing is sin. 
but there is a sin that does not lead to death. This is a highly debated passage. Super debated passage. And in the three commentaries, I think we... That we read, all of them disagreed with each other. Yes, and I think they mentioned like nine. <laughs> nine into- interpretations. Uh, uh, nine yeah. possible total inter- interpretations. So, so that, we've solved it. We've solved no. it. The important things to keep in mind that are, are clear here. One, we can have confidence that our prayers are answered. Yes, important takeaway. Including prayers for people who are committing certain types of sins. Mm-hmm. Not all prayers should be prayed for people who are committing sins, certain kinds of sins. Mm. There's a sin that leads to death, and you shouldn't pray for those, right. is what John says. Mm-hmm. Why? Because maybe it'll, get de- maybe it'll happen? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's because it's not God's will. It wouldn't be God's will. Right. Right. That, I mean, that's the only thing we've t- been told not to pray mm-hmm. are things that aren't in accord with God's will. So to not pray for something, it would be synonymous with yeah. that must not be God's will. So the conversation we've been having about prayer... Mm-hmm more generally and confidence in prayer is bleeding now into a more practical situation that's happening with regards to sin inside John's church. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Because I mean, this would make a lot of sense for people in John's church because they had these antichrists, these like traveling missionaries who came to their church were proven to not be genuine disciples, right? They Mm -hmm. hated their brother. They did. Mm -hmm. They didn't obey the commands, everything we've talked about. Now they've been kicked out. And not only were they not Christians, they're anti-Christians, anti-Christs. Okay. Now, as we turn our direction and our attention back to the church, to my brothers, my neighbors, the people I share my life with, uh, they kind of sin too. Right. They, they they mess up. They kind of. Yeah. I think I remember the antichrists said the same said thing. the same thing about they quoted their brother. the same author. Yeah, and it's like, uh, do we kick them out too? Should they go join the antichrists? What do we do with people in our church? People in our lives, our 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 brothers, our sisters, both genealogically and spiritually, who are sinning. Um, what do we do? We, we pray for them. Okay. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death. Um, and I'm, I think I think we've already defined it, but just like a sin that's not the same sin as the Antichrist's. Yeah, I don't think we have defined it. I, so so I think <laughs> he talks about the sin that leads to death. What is it? I think it's important for us to just name yeah. it. It's very clear throughout the whole letter that it must be the denial that Jesus is the Son of God who came in the flesh and died for our sins. Who are those that are in darkness? Right. The Antichrist. Who are those that hate, contrary to the love of God? The Antichrist. Yeah. And it's, it's really important death here doesn't just come out of nowhere right it's not like he just the sin that leads to death just whoa death where'd that come from yeah they've denied the life that could have lived inside them. right we just got done talking about eternal life yeah and what do you how do you get eternal life being in jesus how do you get death by not being in yeah. jesus and so it's clear that the sin that leads to death is not being in jesus yeah is denying jesus being an antichrist refusing to believe that he came by the water and the blood right refusing to believe they came in the flesh refusing that he came as a, an atoning sacrifice for our sin yep all these things are the sin the sins that lead the sin that leads to death but there are sins that do not lead to death which is pretty much every other sin right <laughs> and so when you see a brother sinning you know, not denying Jesus, mm-hmm. but sinning. Right. What do you do? You pray for them. He shall ask and God will give him life. Here's good news then. If we've said that, if he said that when we pray, we do so according with God's will and it will be heard and it will be done. Then we know that those who sin, but don't deny Jesus, it is God's will that they be given eternal life. Yes. Like that they be saved. Yes. Like that's just good news that it's like, man, that person in my life that just, they're sinning and I don't know what to do. Is it God's will? You know, it's like, it's God's, it's God's will to save them. 
It's God's will to save them. And if they're already saved, to make them holier. Right. Um, and can I do a little Greek thing here, which oh, is interesting? You can always do a Greek so thing. So verse 16 in, I think most versions of your Bible read it this way. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Oh, yes. But in the Greek, it actually just says he. Yes. And the reason that's confusing is because just four words before it says, he shall ask and he will give him life. Right. So it almost makes it sound like one way to read the Greek is that the person who prays mm-hmm. to God is also the one who will give life to his brother. Right. But like only God can give life. But where does God live? In the brother. In the brother. <laughs> That's right. So when you pray God's will for your brother who is sinning. You're being Jesus to that person. You're being Je- redemptively <laughs> yes. loving that person and is bringing them back into God's Which life. Which goes back to earlier in John where we talked about like when we love our brother, we're being Jesus to them. You yes, know, like, yes, 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 yes. Like it's that. And, that, and then when you pray for your brother l- that they might be lovingly restored and you're praying that life would be given to them. That, according to the rest of First John, should bolster your confidence that you are in Jesus because you're acting like Jesus trying to redeem your brother. <laughs> like, it's just this awesome circle. It's an awesome circle. Yeah. So and I, I loved that too. Just, I felt like that one was more concrete for me mm-hmm. than the confidence in for the free speech in front of God to oh, pray yes, whatever yes. I want. I was like, there's an immediacy to like, I see a sin in my brother. Mm-hmm. I want to call that out. I don't know what to do. I'm going to pray about that first. And because God, the life of God that lives in me. Yeah. I'm going to pray that that life goes to them. And it will. Yeah. That feels really concrete and really exciting in a way that like praying just general prayers that didn't. Yeah. So anyway, I was like, I think the more specific you can get there, the better. That's um, really good. Uh, so yeah. So that's fun. That is really fun. And I think it's like really practical too, where it's like, what is your response when you see someone in your, in your life, in your church exposed for sinning? Mm-hmm. Judge them. Hold it against them. Yeah. Or is it to pray for them? Yeah. Yeah. Like It should be pray for them. And I don't know if I think about giving myself... It's like, do I give myself permission to pray for people? Yes, yes, yes. I right. do, of course. I just don't think to. Right. I just don't think to pray for them first. Yeah, but it's like, that's what Jesus did, right? He saw us sinning, right? And what did he do? Judge us? Hold it against us? No. He came and forgave us and gave us his life, literally, by dying we on the cross. become the advocate before the Father. That's right that um jesus is for us jesus is for us you know it's so interesting we have an advocate before if we do sin we have an advocate with the father jesus christ the righteous and this in this is what case first john said earlier yep in this case like now our brother has an advocate in us right i am righteous because of god's yeah. in me so i can pray as an advocate for him if he sins right and, and see his confession yeah. and repentance. You're, you're, we're not anyway. saying that you're his savior or anything but you are acting like christ you're acting like christ and by god in, in you, you there is something powerful that and, takes place and it's an odd enough union between you and christ mm-hmm. that john has intentionally obscured the language that's right he could have said god god will do it right he said he will do it right and there's double references in the sentence structure. Yep. He's intentionally am- making it ambiguous so that you remember that God is in you and you and him are synonymous in such a sense that when you pray according to God's will, he, you, yeah. God brings life. It's powerful. Really. So then what about the people who commit the sin that leads to death? <clears throat> well, there is a si- now there is a sin that leads to death. Mm-hmm. And I do not say that you should pray for that. Now, I want to th- mm-hmm. say something here. Mm-hmm. He actually doesn't say don't pray for antichrists. Right. He says, don't pray for the sin that mm, leads to death. You're right. He, yeah, yeah, it doesn't say, do not pray for that person. 
It doesn't say do not pray for that person. It says do not pray for that sin. I mean, that, it, doesn't, it doesn't say that sin. Or it doesn't say pray for It that. just says do not pray for that. Now, that, ekenos in the Greek, could be that one. Yes. It could be that person. That person. It could also be that sin. So I, I wouldn't want to make too big of a deal out of this. But what I, what I wanted to say, John is careful in his language here. Yes. He was very careful with his language previously mm-hmm. to mention the interpersonal connection between our prayers and our brother's and now he kind of makes it a little bit more ambiguous here. There's a sin that leads to death. I don't say you should pray for that. So if we took the hard line stance here, we're supposed to pray for our brothers that we see sinning mm-hmm. in hopes that they would be reconciled and receive the life of God. Right. When we come up against an antichrist, somebody who denies that Jesus is God, mm. vociferously, continuously, consistently, don't pray for that person. Yeah, and I think it's like, don't pray that that person would be given life. Because I think what we're asking for the the sinner mm-hmm. is God give them life. You know, we're being their advocate, their intercessor in a sense, right? Where it's like, don't like either don't take the life away from them, or mm-hmm. you know, give them life for the first time. You know, make them more holy, or make them holy for the first yeah. time. And it's like it would be against God's will to give eternal life to someone who's not in the Son. It's impossible. It's impossible. Eternal life and Son are synonymous. Exactly right. And so like. If when you when you have all that that he just set up in your head, it actually isn't crazy. It's it's kind of a, an impossibility to pray for life for someone who is dead. Like to man, that's no. Yeah, it's but it's God has said there's eternal life in no one else except mm-hmm. the Son. You cannot have eternal life unless you have the Son. You cannot have the Son and not have eternal life, mm-hmm. right? And so to not have the the Son is to only have death. Right. And so to pray that someone who does not have the son also have eternal life is to pray for something impossibly wrong. You know what I mean? Yes. And it's like, it's kind of like, to put it jokily, it's like the, the old question, like, can God make a stone that he can't, that's so, so big he can't lift it? You know, is <laughs> like, yeah. in a sense, the, there's only one and it's to give eternal life to someone who has rejected Jesus. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's against God's will for that person in that state right, to have eternal life. And John seems so confident that you can know that. He does, yeah. Which, I mean, in one sense makes sense mm-hmm. about how clear he's been. Dark, light, right. hate, love, obey, disobey. Keep yep. the commandment, doesn't keep the The whole book has been a test. The- Here's the litmus test to know if you're in Christ or not. And if someone's not, and they've, they're an antichrist... Mm-hmm you don't need to pray that that person would have eternal life. Yeah. Which now, and and I was going to say, I was going to, I wanted to add, I don't know if this is helpful because it's like, okay, do I not pray for my friends, an atheist? Right. Right. And who's just like a staunch atheist. That's the question I was going to ask. But I also know like a ton of atheists who've been converted, you know, like, but I I wanted to add like a little bit more context here. Again, we're also told they're murderers. We're also told that they're teaching. We're also told that they left the church and then came back to, infiltrate the church so it's like there are some like this isn't just blanket disbelief in in the son of god it is that but is it also possible that he's narrowing it down specifically to the antichrist that they're experiencing i mean it's, it's definitely possible i Especially also like yeah the teaching component because I, I feel like the teaching yeah i think we need to figure out what is john telling them to pray for because mm-hmm. we need to be careful here. He's not saying don't pray that they would come to know Jesus. 
Right. He says, don't, don't pray that they would, that God would give them life. Right. There's sin that leads to death. I do not say that you should pray for death. Verse 16, right, is he will ask God oh. and God will give him life. So if God is giving him life, what did that person ask for? Life. So to, what I'm saying is like to pray for that, that God would just de facto give an antichrist life mm-hmm. apart from their knowledge of Jesus is to pray for an impossibility. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have a son does not have life. You can't pray for that. Uh, Don't pray for for life to be given outside of Jesus because it can't be. Instead, what you can pray is that that person would come to know Jesus. There's no hmm. need to not pray for that. So you're saying they'd be considering praying for life outside of Jesus for these people. Yes. What would that look like on the ground now? I, I don't know if I've ever considered it, it praying would be, that prayer. It would be universalism. That's it's. it's it's a, a, like very like commonplace that that God in your compassion give life to everybody, even those who do not know you, is a very common thing that millions of people believe today. Hmm. And it's like God says, "Don't pray that prayer. Do not pray that people outside of Jesus would have life because they are one. Because you can life. pray that they would come to know Jesus because in Him is life, but you cannot pray for de facto life outside of Jesus because life and Jesus are synonymous. Exactly, right. that's the point we made earlier. Yep. Interesting. Well, that's that's a helpful distinction, if not sobering. Yeah. <laughs> it's not sobering, but like that's helpful, I think, in understanding what he's saying. The temptation consistently has been to separate the good things of God from being with God. It's mm-hmm. like, no, no, the reason you have the good things of God are because you are in God, with God, in God. God is in you. Right. You there's no hope for life outside of that. Right. And the sin that leads to death is denying that it comes from outside Jesus. That's right. Outside God. I can get eternal life anywhere. So you can't pray for life for anyone outside of the life of God. You can can pray that they would come to know the life source. Mm -hmm. That they would come to know Jesus. Yeah. Um, I mean, because if you couldn't, it would be inconsistent with other parts of scripture. That that God desires all people to be saved. Yes. That's exactly right. so, So do we. Even antichrists. But you cannot pray that God would save them without coming to Jesus. Mm-hmm. That would be to deny Jesus yourself, hmm. that he is the source of life. Okay. Which should be, a, I think, a cata- cataclysmic call to us to make sure we are presenting Jesus to the world. Yeah. You cannot give people life or hope without giving them Jesus, without giving them the gospel. Yeah. And I think we want to do that. There's a benevolent God up there, mm-hmm. and there's many pathways. It's like no, there's actually only one. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not a turn I was expecting this podcast to take, but like I think that's the right one. It's mm. what John's been encouraging us to meditate on this entire time. Yeah, is the the synonymity mm-hmm. of Jesus with light, right? Jesus with love, mm-hmm. Jesus with confidence. Confidence, yes. Like Jesus with eternal life, eternal life, and those things don't exist apart from him. That's right. You can only have them in Jesus. So much so that when you have them, you know you have Jesus. That's been John's whole point. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of knowing, that's the last thing that he does here, right? Yeah. So we've moved on. So he has this section about the testimony. He talks about prayer for a beat. And now he kind of wraps up his letter in three... We uh, knows. We know statements. We know everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. It's like, yeah, he spent a lot of time talking about that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he who was born of God, so I think he's referring to Jesus there. 
Oh Pro- yes, it's yeah, that's debated. But protects yeah. him, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Yep. So it's like, okay, guys, wrap it up now. Wrap it up. What are we going to talk about? Okay, we've been through this. We know that everybody sins, but we have an advocate with the Father. But he who was born of God, the Son of God, Jesus, or even your brother praying mm-hmm. on your behalf, protects you, and the evil one cannot touch you. Harm you. Harm you. Yeah. Apparently, touch is a bad translation. Oh. I didn't, I didn't know that until today. Sorry, ESV that I'm reading from today. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, uh, uh, yeah. yeah. We know that when we're in Jesus, we will not continue in, in our sin. We will sit, you know, we will fight sin, mm-hmm. stand in the light. And that Jesus will protect us from the evil one because we've overcome the world by our faith. Yep. We know that. Yeah. So it's like you can know that when you're in Christ, you will conquer sin more and more and that Jesus will protect you more and more from sin. Mm -hmm. We know that. Yep. Confidence. And the the evil one, the world, its powers, the antichrist coming against you. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life will not overcome you. They won't overcome your kids. Mm. This is the one... And I mean, maybe our, your kids aren't believers. I know mine probably aren't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> very young. They're very, very young. But like, I think that's one thing as a parent I've, yeah. I've thought about a lot. Like, I think there is something. I don't want to get too Presbyterian, but right. like, um, <laughs> but I think there's something to be said about the family of God and faithful mothers and fathers who love Jesus and God's love for their children through their faith when they don't have the capacity to fit, believe in God in that way yet. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Anyway, yeah. that's a, a totally different topic. Right. However, uh, the evil one does not ultimately win against those who believe in Jesus. Right. We know that. We know that. In verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I think he's just setting up his final one-two punch okay. here. Okay. So we know that we're from God, we're born of God, and the whole world belongs to the evil There's one. There's two kingdoms is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. We're children of God. The rest of the world is are children of the evil one. Now you can pass from one to the other by putting your faith in Jesus, but we know that we live in the kingdom of God. We are born of God. We are God's children, but we are living in occupied territory. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Mm. Little children, keep yourself from false gods. I think that's the best way to translate it, that last line. It's like, there's only one God. Mm -hmm. There's only one mediator between God and man. There's only one advocate. There's only one light. There's only one love. There's only one atoning sacrifice. Little children, keep yourself from all false versions right yeah it's a a lot of commentators and a lot of people i think when they read the end of first john find that last verse verse 21 surprising keep yourself from idols where do idols come from all of a sudden in the world and and it's not like i bid you farewell i hope i hope and pray that you will continue on like nope keep yourself from idols bye Mm -hmm. mic drop but it's like how could this letter end any other way Right. It's been his point the whole time. The very beginning of the letter was, this is who we have seen and touched and heard from. It's Jesus. It's no one else. Life is found in no one else. It's only him. And like, so keep yourself from any version of what people want to say about Jesus or any other paths to eternal life other than what the testimony of the three witnesses that you've heard from. You could probably, I mean, that gets the emotive heart of it. Keep yourself from antichrists. Right. Like that's yeah. that's that's the way it ends. Yes. Um, yeah. And I think it's interesting. He harps so much about loving God 
and loving your neighbor, which we've talked about as the summary of the Ten Commandments mm-hmm. and how belief in God is like, how do we know we're in him? By believing in God. Right. And the very first commandment on Mount Sinai is to believe in God and to not keep idols. Right. And so I think here it's interesting, like he is the true God. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the true God. In him is eternal life. Commandment 1A, commandment 1B, and don't have false idols. Right. That's like, it's it's his way of going all the way back to the beginning of Israel's history. It's and, so true. Yeah. Well, and it's like, that was the sin of Israel throughout their entire history was idolatry. What they struggled with was false gods. Mm-hmm. It's what always tanked them. And it's like, it's no different today. No, false false gods are just different ways. Yeah. Any Anybody who says like, hey, here's how you can have life. Here's what's true. Here's what's good. Here's what's loving. And it's like, no, only define all of those things one way. Jesus, who was the Christ, who died for us. Like he defines all of that. He's the center of reality. And if one of my commentators is convinced that these secessionists are mm-hmm. a form of Judaizers, right. they were people who at one time thought that Jesus might be the Messiah, but then were convinced he's the false Messiah. Um, but think about in that context, if he's reappropriating the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. he said, no, no, the true savior of Israel yes. is Jesus. That's right. Love him, mm-hmm. love Jesus, keep his commands, right. and have no other false gods except him yeah another way or to no, have no other gods except him <laughs> another way to put that against judaizers which is kind of ironic and strange is uh they're they're monotheists right uh-huh so no one is god but god which is why they had such a problem of having god as a person jesus mm-hmm. right now you could come in the flesh and you come in the flesh and be visible no you cannot make a visible representation of god that's an idol mm-hmm. and it's like no to have any image of God other than Jesus is an idol. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wait, what? Like you could imagine that just messing with these potential Judaizers brains. Of yes. Just like, no, the like, problem is Jesus, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the problem is he did come in the flesh. It's like, no, the problem is you don't believe that he came in the flesh, that he doesn't have an image anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just like really interesting. And that's uh, the book of first John. Yeah. That's the book of first John. Uh, I've loved this book. Uh, so much. Um, we will we will next week jump into Second John and Third John yep. in one episode. That's uh, right. The two shortest books in the New Testament, which is always always, always great. Always great. Always great when your Bible reading plan comes across Second and Third You're John. Like, Woo, crushing it! I Crush. read I read two books of the Bible. Normally, today. you have to read like all of First through Third John in a day, but in our Bible reading plan, you will only read one fourteen verse chapter. So uh, we'll we'll talk about both of those, which are really interesting developments at John's church. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, how do you continue to live in a church where itinerant min- missionaries came through and messed so much up? You know, now what happens when other itinerant, itinerant missionaries come through? What do you do with them? Do we just not entertain them because yeah. they messed everything up? That's what John's going to talk about next, which is really fun. So thank you guys for listening, and so uh, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Spoken Gospel Podcast. Spoken Gospel creates short films, devotionals, and podcasts like this one. Everything we make is free because of generous supporters like you. To see our resources, visit SpokenGospel.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks for listening. See you next week.